I'm Elaine Shannon. I'm Dana Lloyd. Welcome to Soul Sister Conversations, the podcast where we inspire and empower you to connect more soulfully to yourself. This episode of Soul Sister Conversations is sponsored by The Voice Factory, a premier podcast and audio studio specializing in voiceover talent, e-learning, and podcasts with a global reach. The audio revolution is here, and The Voice Factory wants to take your voice to the world. Visit The Voice Factory on Facebook and their website, voicefactory.ca. In this episode of Soul Sister Conversations, we speak with Sister Joan Chittister about her most recent book, The Time Is Now, A Call to Uncommon Courage. She makes a passionate appeal for us to be an everyday prophet and to question what is happening around us, reminding us that silence creates a false peace. She also shares her insights on advocating for women. Well, good morning, Elaine. Good morning, Dana. And this is an exciting day. We're at the Voice Factory in St. John, New Brunswick. Yes. Here we're mic'd up and we've got headsets. We heads up and we're feeling very professional. And I am very, very excited for our guest today, uh, Sister Joan Chittister. And you'll have to look her up if you don't know who she is. Uh, she, and you need to know who she is. And you need to know who she is. She's one of the best known and best loved writers, an international speaker and influential leader of this age. And Elaine, I remember seeing Sister Joan on Oprah a number of years ago, and I thought, wow, this lady is terrific. And when we got this podcast together, I reached out to um, her people online, and lo and behold, she, she called us back. And then she was on Oprah again recently and was terrific. And we thought this is someone that we need to have. Our listeners uh, would really appreciate her insight. And and her book is so relevant yes. for where we are. And so so we're calling uh, Sister Joan Chister, and we're talking to her from Erie, Pennsylvania. And her book title is The Time Is Now, A Call to Uncommon Courage. So welcome, Sister Joan Chittister. Thank you both. Thank you for your interest. Thank you for your good work. This is the best way we have right now, not just to have conversations, but to start conversations around us. So I know the effort it takes, and and I thank you for your professionalism. Oh, thank you. Oh, thank you, Sister Joan. I mean, it's Dane and I have talked about this, and it's like we've been preparing our entire lives to have this podcast, to have a voice, to share relevant messages. So we feel blessed. Mm. We feel absolutely blessed. Right. So when I opened your book and read it. I felt in the first couple of pages, obviously your passion, and I thought, why are you writing this book now? You call it The Time Is Now. What is this book yes. in response to? Well, I, I'll be very honest with you. I, I, like everybody else, certainly in the States, and you're not kidding me, so is Canada, mm-hmm. watching what is happening down here. Yes. I'm standing in the middle of this, watching what I have been taught and did teach as the bedrock of American values, simply begin to be eroded. Uh, We no longer have a fully vetted cabinet, for instance. We have acting heads of Mm. the department. Why does that make a difference? Because if the Senate is not vetting them, then they really have no personal authority. They become staff of the president. Mm -hmm. So we're at the point where Mr. Trump is using the cabinet as his internal staff, which means who can vote him out? Who can say, no, I won't with any authority? 
So watching all of this begin to crumble and civility with it, the whole notion that we have two parties and one people, we now have two separate parties and we have one of those parties ruling by a majority of one. Do you follow what I'm saying? If you have 51 of party A and 49 of party B, you have the difference of two votes. If the leader of the party refuses to bring a piece of legislation to the Senate, then it never, ever gets voted on. Or worse, in my opinion, uh, it's called down here the Denny Hastert rule. When Denny Hastert was uh, Speaker of the House, he institutionalized the notion, and he said quite clearly to the Republicans, I will not allow any bill on the floor to be reviewed unless I know that it already has a Republican majority when it walks in the door. Now, that's what you call institutional partisanship. Mm. It means that for four years, one party rules without amendments, without commendation, without concern. Is that clear, what I'm saying? Yes. So as I look at all that, in a so-called democracy, I see us turning into a plutocracy. And all of a sudden, I realized what I heard around me. And what I heard around me was silence. Mm. Is that the complacency that you talk about, Sister Joan? No, no, I'm talking about silence. I'm talking about the fact that nobody's talking. Right. You don't talk anymore because the family is split. You can't talk to your brother or your sister because they're A or B. You can't talk to the neighbors. You don't talk in the office. Everybody has dropped a level of conversation, at least in public, about what they stand for, what they're concerned about, what is going on with the government. That's exactly what happened in 1939 Munich. People began to say to themselves, in fact, uh, the historians tell us now that Hitler had exactly the same amount of approval as Trump has at the present time in this society. Mm. 36 to 37 percent. It wasn't true that all the Germans rushed to, to create a Nazi state. It is that he got the power. And he created the Nazi state. So I believe that we're at a very similar point. Everybody has a point of view, but nobody starting at our highest levels is sitting down trying somehow or other to make those disparate views one, which is what you call democracy. This is what you call the common good. The silence worries me more than the debate ever will. And so I said to myself, I have to do something. Mm. I have to send some thought into a black sky or when they are taking my coffin to the local cemetery, I do not want to remember that in the midst of this, I said nothing. Nothing. That's why I wrote the book. So I loved your chapter on paradox where you say we avoid the discussions that have two sides than what you're just referring to. And you say we like a religion served calm. We call quiet unity. And when I was reading that, it's just because we are quiet doesn't mean we're unified. And just because, you know, we're noisy doesn't mean we're divisive. So you said that we're not complacent. We're silent. Why the silence? Why are people remaining silent? We're witnessing it from here from Canada and we have our own things going on. So why do people stay silent? 
do you think? Well, in the first place, most of us were taught how to be nice, not to be good. We don't teach our kids how to be good. We, we, don't, we don't teach conversation as good conversation. We want nice conversation, mm. and that's a great value. It's called gentility, mm. called charity. It's called calm. Mm. But if you can't have that conversation, and good people, nice people, really don't want to make matters worse, so they sink inside themselves and say, better that we not talk about this. Mm. And furthermore, at least the answer uh, for most people is, don't worry about it. It's going to be over in two years. This will pass. Right. All we have to do is, is ride this little boat through this big storm. And on the other side of it, everything will be fine. There's no proof that on the other side of it, everything is going to be fine. When you see your present being dismantled, you cannot argue that everything will be fine. Mm. And, and, and not just in the United States, this is the world. This is the world. Sure, but quiet can be a false peace. Exactly, it, yes. Mm. It's, we want peace, but it's a false peace. We need the discussions. We need the debates. We need the confrontation with ideas, and we need to work through them. Quiet is a false peace at a time of great differences. And so what you say we need is the everyday prophet. Well, I believe that there is a prophet meant that we are, we are called. We, we are called to integrity. We are called to the depths of our souls. We're called to our best values. And when you're not speaking them, when you are not even, never, never mind speaking, do you believe in maintaining the oceans? If you do, you can send $5 to save the whales. You can get your name on their mailing list so they can say tomorrow, 19 million people want us to save the whales in this part of the world. That's speaking. That's speaking. You can sign your name to a petition. That's speaking. You can call your family together with the latest piece of legislation and say, I'm going to suggest that we take the next four Mondays and come together and teach one another what's in this document and what it will imply for various kinds of people in this society. We can, in other words, make ourselves knowledgeable voices, knowledgeable voters, knowledgeable presenters in any conversation. You're standing at the bar with a glass of wine in your hands, and somebody says, this is really going to be great. We're going to make billions. And the answer is, and we're going to have to spend those billions on the military, on deporting immigrants rather than sustaining or developing them. We're not saving anything. And furthermore, we're ruining the society. And it's, I can tell you where to go. Go to page 18 of this document. See paragraph three. Ask yourself then how much you'll save. You have to know something to discuss something. Mm -hmm. And so quiet not only becomes a false peace, it becomes a false protection. It's a false provider. I don't speak because I don't know. You'll hear people say that all the time. Yeah, but that's not my area. I don't really know those things. Then find them out. Because what you're doing is you are bartering your children's future. Mm -hmm. 
your grandchildren's future. And you have young people in this country stepping up right now saying, we want this stopped. You are leaving us with a garbage pile. Right. And we can't live in that. I think one of the things that I like about what you're saying, I can hear your passion. And when you talk in your chapter on awareness, you say we have lost the holy gift of awareness of the world's needs that the prophets brought to full awareness. And you you call us out. You say it's not good enough that we can claim busyness in our work life and family. No, that, that's, a, that, that's a lie. Mm-hmm. And and we use that a lot. We've talked about it on the podcast. You know, the the everybody claims busyness. We're so busy. busy. Right. We don't have time to, right? You have time for what's important, but I don't think people even know anymore what is important, what is a priority. They want to leave it to everybody else to figure that out. Listen, honey, they know the names on the leaderboard uh, of the golf uh, tournaments. <laughs> yeah. They know the, that's the winners. The, but that's of the, the priority, NBA. right? Their priority they, is. Yes, yes they, it is. Exactly. It is all backwards. You make it your priority. Yeah. And then you turn around and say, I'm too busy. Well, you won't be too busy, darling, when your own taxes collapse. I heard one of those focus groups in the last 48 hours down here. Of the six or eight people that were there, um, uh, they had all voted for Trump in the first election. So then they were asked the question, how many of you will vote for Trump again? Two of them raised their hands. Four of them did not. Then they moved on with this line of questioning and said, is there anything that would convince you or persuade you to vote for Trump, even if you don't like him? Well, yeah, sure. If the economy holds up, Well, is there anything that would lead you to be certain that you wouldn't vote for him? Well, yeah, if the economy crashes, I'm not going to vote for him. And I could have wept. This group of fine American adults has one concern, and that's money. Money, right. And, And I'm also hearing that they're concerned about themselves, right? How will this affect me? As long as the economy keeps going, that's good. And I think in that chapter on awareness, you call us out. As you said, it's actually not difficult to be a prophet. Like, what would you no. suggest to people? How do we rise up? How do we go beyond well, ourselves? Well, here's, here's what Scripture says about the prophet. When none of them wanted to be prophets. No, one of them. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, they, Amos. They all said, hey, listen, I don't know anything about this. I, I'm no prophet. I, I'm, a, I'm a herder of sheep. I'm a small business person. Uh, I'm a farmer. I, I, I live up here in the backwoods. There's, there's a guy down there. He's pretty smart. Send him. In every case, the voice of God comes back and says, you, you are my prophet. You are. And I want you to go down there and speak. And this is what I want you to say. Warn them. Go down there and warn them. That's a direct quote. That's the scriptural mm-hmm. language. I want you to be a watchman on the tower. Tell them trouble is coming. Make them see that where they are is is leading them to perdition. That's what prophets do. They speak a clear word in the middle of a society that does not want to hear another word. Mm. And you mention a lot of uh, prophets in your book, which is wonderful, and, and give reference to where and how. And so when we look at everyday prophets now, Sister Joan, who do you see 
out there besides yourself I mean your you know your books and your and your guidance and everything that you've done leads us to that that you are an everyday prophet but who do you see out right now who is claiming that and you've mentioned you know the the groups that are saving no, the no, ocean no 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 I won't say who's claiming it I I don't know anybody who's claiming it I know two Dana Lloyd and Elaine Shen oh thank you sister Joan those are the prophets that I expect will help the society work through these questions out mm-hmm. loud for all our sakes and quit dodging it Mm. Prophets don't dodge. Prophets point and warn and watch on the tower where evil and danger is coming from. And as you say that about Dane and I, and Dane and I have had these discussions, you know, reading your book, we've had lots of coffee discussions or tea discussions, and I have this feeling in my belly that I can't shut down now, that I'm going to get emotional, and it's disturbing the status quo within myself. Mm. No, of course it is. And see, you are you are touching into when you keep saying, well, what's the problem? Why are people silent? Why isn't anybody there? Why did you even think you ought to write a book like this? You touch it. You have your finger on the nerve, Elaine. You both know that the fact of the matter is this is so important. This is so meaningful. This is so roughshod. It is. So you, every every sentence is a is a step closer to the cliff. Every one. You tell me why it is that an American audience shouted "Lock her up! Lock her up! Lock her up!" without an ounce of proof. Right. But nobody is shouting "Lock him up! Lock him up! Lock him up!" with four hundred and forty-eight pages of mm. proof. Right. Of his misuse of of the Constitution. If he were the CEO of any corporation and accused of the kind of rape and uh, and harassment that he is by seventeen women, he'd be out tomorrow. Right. And yet and we say nothing. A word. Yeah. Right. That's right. That's right. Uh, one of the things that Profits I love. Prophets warn us. Prophets warn us, and, and you are doing exactly that. I, I call you fierce. I'm like, and and I and and Lane and I both grew up as Catholics, and I don't remember people being fierce. And the fierce is a good thing. That the the passion that oozes out of you, and I can hear your voice in in your book. And when you talk in the chapter on confidence, because this is something you know, I'm a coach, and I hear people. I try to encourage people to use their talents and gifts. And you say that denying your abilities, you've been given. Thought, insight, wisdom is a virtual sin against creation. So even as we talk about Elaine and I, you know, we have this ability to be able to chat or talk with people and get to the bottom of some things that, you know, that we are using our gifts as other people. So I hope as they're listening to this, they they think about what are the gifts that I have that I can use. But you say you can't use that argument. Oh, Lord, I am not worthy, you know, to claim inability where your talent lies dormant. That's exactly right. And when you're using your talent for the wrong stuff. Oh, yeah. 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 Use it for the right stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So what words of encouragement would you have to people to accept and use their gifts? I just simply trust creation. Mm. The God who gave you the gift will sustain the gift. Mm. It's that simple. The God who gave you the gift is is waiting for you. You know, uh, God created this world, but God didn't finish creation. 
Oh, I love I love that. I highlighted it and I circled that when when you wrote God, that, and I thought, God yes. Left, God left the completion of creation to you and me. Mm. Where there is a wound in creation, we should be binding it up. Mm. Where there is a break in creation, we should be cementing it again. That's what the prophet does. The prophet points a finger at the break and says, looks at children in cages on the border of this country and says, not in my name. Mm. Not in my name. I'm not asking people to rage in the streets, to uh, turn cars upside down, to carry flaming torches anywhere. I'm asking them to be adults. I'm asking them to, to get a copy of The Time Is Now and bring six people into your living room and, and you all discuss it. Yes. You tell me what's wrong in that book and I'll listen. But I want to start the conversation. I want thinking people who come at this with the fullness of their souls, not the fullness of their pocketbooks. I want them to bring their humanity into a room and ask whether or not what they see around them is the kind of humanity that a government ought to be promoting. Mm. You're asking us to break the silence. Yes, I am. Yeah, And you are quite a catalyst. Well, you've done this for for Dana and I, who have marked up your book and have lots of notes sitting here in front of us and have have great discussion. And for our listeners, I mean, there's a lot of people who may not know of you or know you and your book. And so the question for our time is, what will they do? And how will they be? How do you need to be, right? And Dana and I talk a lot about presence, Presence is a. Well, I figure you can complain about nothing if you do nothing to fix it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And 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 I would think that you know as as you push us to say more to break the silence, we love to talk about spirituality, and you talk about being authentically spiritual in your book, and you say we we can be good people. We can be charitable, that's laudable and commendable. We can be fine people, we can be seekers. You know, we'll be liked and admired and respected. And you said safe, but truly spiritual, not completely. No. And how do we complete or deepen that spirituality? Is it becoming, everyone becoming a prophet in their own In their own space. Yeah, I mean, we've used the word prophet as if it means giant leader. Right. These were some of the smallest people in the society, but their voices were heard because their voices were magnified and multiplied by people like you and other people got the word. You come down here and you ask Americans if this country is on the right path and over and over and over again, a a majority, large majority consensus says no. Now that's got to be from both sides of the aisle. No, we are not. And yet nobody is leading us to sit down and get ourselves back on the path together so that everybody in this society, all levels of this society, can aspire to decency, dignity, and and a full life. Mm. I, I am not naive. 
My friends will tell you, dumb maybe, naive no. <laughs> There's a huge difference. And and I know the point is not that you should or can have an equal distribution of goods. But there should be such a distribution that nobody in this society has to live the life of an animal on the streets. Right. I live in a neighborhood in the United States where draw a square from the lake up to 26th Street, from 26th Street, 10 blocks over to East Avenue, and back down again. The state has confirmed that the children in that area, in my neighborhood, our children do not eat, do not get three meals a day. My community, my sisters, open a, a, a soup kitchen for kids because we didn't, these children are not eating, their parents can't feed them, they're, they're, they're living on McDonald's if they get that much. Mm. Yeah. And this this whole notion that the rest of society can prosper is prospering. That's a sin. You ought to be ashamed to say that. Right. Shame to say that your prosperity is being held up by the women and the children of that area in this town. Mm. In any town. It's any town, now, and it's happening in our town. We have a high level, very high level of uh, child poverty in the city, sure. and and it it's something that we have seen for years it's not getting any better and so the in your book you talk about that so there's people that are creating the soup kitchens and helping but it's not it's not the help that is making change it's not giving women a yeah. living wage well there's a difference between charity and justice i mean charity abounds in this country i i do not fault it but charity without advocacy is, is useless. It, it sustains. It doesn't resolve. Mm. Sure. I mean, I'll take, I'll take 20 people into our table and we'll divide the piece of bread in 20 parts so each of us get a bite. Yes. But unless I ask where the rest of the bread is and why we don't have it, mm. my charity is useless. Mm. If I can hear every day, that our military has been renewed and our children are still hungry. Yes. I wonder how many bombs we need to protect ourselves or to blow this planet right out of the universe. Mm. I mean, again, the Chinese have a saying. The Chinese say, if we stay on the road we are on, mm. we shall surely get where we are going. Great statement. Great statement. Mm. So could you say with charity, I, I, it gave me pause to think about charity. You said charity without prophecy, not that it's useless, but that without we, advocacy. Yeah, that yeah. we can clothe charity and feed the that, people, but if we don't do anything to change the laws or to protect people. Then, then you're enabling a sick yeah. system. Yeah. You're enabling a sinful system. Now, I'm not saying not to do it. I'm saying it is so incomplete and it can be used to sustain sin, a sinful society, mm -hmm. rather than to sanctify it. That those people can still be taken advantage of. Of course. Yes. Mm. Like I said, we've talked a lot about spirituality, and I think about, you know, your fierceness, your ability to speak up. Um, have you received resistance from the church, from the organization that you belong to, as you speak up? 
not from my sisters, no. not from my community. No. My community speaks, I speak its language, mm. doesn't speak mine. Mm. Uh, we have a corporate commitment to to um, to justice, to nuclear disarmament, and to the care of women and children. Mm. Uh, we, we are all oriented in that direction. It's a very Benedictine thing. We're here. To, we, we believe in, in human community. Mm. We live together, a, a group of strangers in human community saying this can happen. Mm. And we try to build community around us. No, there's no resistance from our sisters, from my community. They're, they're all immersed in it one way or another, mm. depending on what their own physical limitations might be. In terms of of direct confrontation, uh, not so much. No, a lot of interest. People want the discussion. Mm. People want the discussion That's more than you realize. Mm. I mean, what are you doing here? Mm. Uh, you're you're not you're not trying to beat up on me or anybody like me. Uh, you, you're trying to have a good discussion that somehow or other may may enhance your own listenership. Mm. Uh, all of that's important. That's exactly what I'm calling for. I, there is no place in that book where I even hint that I have the answers. But I do know the questions, and I'm asking people to call out the questions. Right. Not to allow this to go on uh, behind curtains. We know it's happening. We don't say anything. <laughs> Right. We, we don't enter anything. We, we don't insist that our own institutions bring in, bring in a scientist uh, and let them teach you. You're too old to know how to explain climate change. Mm-hmm. So get somebody. And then you'll know where to put your name on the next petition, what meeting to go to. Educate yourself. That will be your first prophetic step. Mm. I love the words that you used when you talked about the everyday prophet. So warm, persuade, enlighten. And those are all gentle, loving words, never condemning. And that was what struck me through the book as well. Sister Joan was that, you know, and in in my past, like, so I've I've been a little feisty myself, but sometimes I came across, right, in a a sort of maybe a judgmental or condemning way. And it really has called me to to find that person inside of me, right? The who am I? I am loving. I am made from creator and and here to, to do my part. And so it really yes. has given me that call to find that warm, gentle part inside of me that comes from love and to, to share the messages in a way that is more gentle to the people around me. Because I think when I started yeah. my journey, I was pretty much like, here I come blazing and, and maybe a yeah. little rough around yeah. the edges. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know that you have to start somewhere. Don't, don't beat yourself up for that. You, the, you grew into a larger vision. And all people do when they begin to understand the complexity of the situation they're dealing with. But then you must understand very clearly what I see as the end point of this book. It is the courage, the courage, and the knowledge, and the knowledge. It's very important to me. I don't want people starting fights downtown who have no idea what they're talking about. 
Uh, you must educate yourself. I, I made that strong point a few minutes ago. And you must have the wisdom and the courage to learn to say in the middle of another entirely different uh, social situation, I think differently mm-hmm. about that. You don't have to start a fight. You just wait till somebody starts to tell you how wonderful this is, that 90% of our money has gone to the top, and that uh, to the top 1%, and you just simply say, well, I, I need to say something here. I think differently about that. And then it becomes very clear, very clear to everybody around you that there are reasons to think differently about that, and that you are not. Remember that in the in the front of the book, I tell you, you have three possible choices. Mm-hmm. If you start with that chapter and make your choices, you'll know exactly what to do with both your present and your future. Mm. Yes, yeah, so you say we can leave the mission unfinished as one choice. The second alternative yeah. is surrender to those forces of resistance. And that third choice is to refuse to accept a moral deterioration of the present and insist on celebrating the coming of an unknown. And I think as our listeners are listening to that, you know, to to review those choices again, because I I find it interesting, the the subtitle is The Call to Uncommon Courage. You didn't say The Call to Courage. So I had somebody say, before the book came out, was in process, I had very intelligent and and knowledgeable people read, make sure I haven't made any mistakes, (laughs) that all all the citations are true, all the spelling is right, everything is there. And one of them, a, a woman I greatly admire, past uh, educator at the college level, said, I really like this book, Joan. It really touched me. I must admit I'll be going back to it several times. But... I don't understand the subtitle. I said, what's wrong with the subtitle? She said, you say, the time is now, a call to uncommon courage. I think you should just say a call to common courage. I said, do you see any? (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly what (laughs) Dead silence. Five people yelped. I said, I know exactly what I'm calling for. The courage I want is uncommon. Mm. It is the courage to disagree in a, in a situation that I think is morally deficit and say, I think differently, differently. about mm. it. Yeah. It, it's so interesting and, because I know I, I have a, a book coming out in the fall that's specifically for women. And I've had a few chats with people and I kind of, you know, my making the claim that, I, you know, I think women will transform the world, that we have one of the greatest opportunities. We have, we don't have women in all corners of our corporate offices and governments and so on. And, you know, I've received, I don't say I've received a little bit of resistance, but, you know, people saying, I don't think it's going to be women. And I'm like, well, why not us? <laughs> Why not us? We, I think we yeah. have, you know, the men have already been there. The women have been in the That's homes. Right. We have, have a great opportunity ahead of us. And so my question to you about, you know, the resistance or pushback, you know, it makes me stop for a little bit and think about what I'm doing. Then I think, no, I must go on and, and inspire or, or be a catalyst for people if women are listening. If they're, the, you know, so it's, it's um, I, you know, I want people to listen to, to themselves today go inward and think about how they how they can make a difference in their lives that I think a lot of people like you said you know they think the word prophet is this giant leader and that it's probably the most quiet amongst us who who will make that change oh you you are so right in the first place on the woman's question I mean I do not understand how we pull the veil of blindness Mm 
so securely over our eyes, half of the resources of the world are being ignored. Right. Half of the population of this world with its experiences, its agendas, its needs, and its solutions are simply ignored, silenced, made invisible. That means that half the agendas of the world are male and half the solutions are male. And you can see where that's getting us. I'm fond of saying we have the human race in a position where we see with one eye and hear with one ear and think with one half of the human mind. And no no wonder we're making such a mess of things. We are not using all the resources that creation has given us to use. And that that is that's a huge absolutely huge judgment on the human race that that we have made half of of uh, of our citizenship half of our brains half of our agendas simply silenced silenced mm. there it is again Silence. keep them silent and you don't have a thing to worry about and they're right mm. they're right you have no idea how strong and powerful the human voice is but if you leave it alone if you refuse to amplify that voice, then you too will get where you are surely going. Mm. Your family and its property values and its educational level and its uh, opportunities will go to dust in front of your eyes. And so many of the, the our listeners are women so what would you say to women? How do we find our voice? What can they do to find that voice? I think so many people are afraid to speak up or to reveal their talents. So what would your, your message to women be? Well, I consider the most subversive thing going on in uh, at least the Western world today, and especially maybe the United States, are women's reading groups. They're everywhere. We have a book club. We have a book club. Sister, we have a book club. Sister, we're using your book next week. Really? Really? <laughs> and I say to myself, well, obviously their uh, father isn't monitoring their reading because women don't use force. Women use their brains. It's not brawn. Mm-hmm. It's brain where a woman is concerned. So they begin to engineer and organizing themselves. And before you know it, these tiny little towns have a woman's group. And the woman's group does doilies and and has uh, bake-offs and does little sacks for refugees. And then one day they stand up and say, listen, we found out that they're not not even sending our sacks. They're just dumping them. We're Mm. going to City Hall. That has to be changed. They do. And they do. They're very smart, these women. Mm. And all they have to do is get together. Just get together. Together, right. Mm -hmm. Read some good books and ask yourself about those ideas. What ideas? Ideas about what a good marriage is. Ideas about what a bad marriage is. Ideas about child raising and how it destroys. Ideas about what it means to be a citizen ideas about what is a democracy mm. i mean it's this what what we in our silence we are admitting our lack of knowledge mm. 
and these uncommon conversations so they're not conversations about hairstyles and fashion and where we're going to spend our right. money. They are Which uncommon. Are fine conversations. They're, they're fine, <laughs> but these uncommon <laughs> conversations bring up the courage, right? They are mm. they open us up to the courage. And they see they find themselves in a group, and for the first time in her life, a woman says, "I'm not alone. Other people think like I do." Yes. Yes. These people understand what I'm saying. And then 30 of them go to town hall meeting and stand up together and say, we demand to be heard. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing more and more of a push to that. It's so interesting that you say I'm not alone. There was a, uh, I had a women's group about, I don't know, eight years ago. And we started, just like what you said, it was like, come together. And I remember that very first night, I remember being nervous about inviting them to my house. And I was, you know, practicing being a coach at that time. And uh, I asked people what they were taking away that evening. And that was the, the, the big comment. Sure. Someone said, I sure. am not, I realize I'm not alone. And there I thought go. that was such a powerful statement because that was what was happening. We weren't actually discussing. We were all people, uh, all moms who had children going to uh, kindergarten at the time, and we didn't know what we were going to do with our lives. And just by having the conversation. <laughs> and that's why men in any institution, church or state, don't want women on their boards, because they know that the agendas will be enlarged, mm-hmm. that the resolutions will be enlarged. That suddenly, you see, when a woman speaks up, all the women and the children around her are speaking with her. Mm. Right. That's true. And it's a powerful thing when you can get some momentum and people talking about it. Like, you could really feel it open up when people say, I'm not alone, and you give them an opportunity to talk about that. So I think those are the things that we can do in our living rooms. And, you know, certainly Elaine and I do it. We get together and we have chats about our own, you know, lives and spirituality. And it's amazing. um, I've heard this, I think it was Elizabeth Gilbert that said that, you know, every question takes you on a quest. Like, just ask a question. It's built right into the word. It's the most insidious thing you can do in a group when somebody says, well, we finally got these plants back to the United States. The question is, really? Where? (laughs) And why is it better if they're here? Why, Why would we do that when we have all of these technical jobs available and people out there unable to take them? Why are we not concentrating on education? Why? Why are our teachers starving? not just our kids. Mm. I mean, why? Right. Why? So many teachers pay why? out of their own pockets for their children in their classroom. Yes. Right? Oh, of course because they, they want the best. They sure. want the best for those children. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. No, you 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 t- I mean, you what you what you what you two are talking about is reality. And somebody's got to speak back into that reality. That's where my concern for silence is coming mm. from. And until, unless and until this society begins to speak as a society, wherever it is, uh, in however small or however large the group, we can't possibly really believe that we're functioning in a democracy until we start to monitor the people we're sending to Congress. Right now, Mm. uh, down here, we we have a Congress without a conscience. Perfectly silent. Mm. They're all silent. They're all silent. They're just going to wait until it goes by, uh, pour the money into winning a new election. The Supreme Court has even allowed foreign money now. 
Now tell me what that is saying. Tell me. This is this is a is a as a country on the edge. Mm-hmm. And we're witnessing and, from here. It's so it's so interesting to watch because I used to watch well, a lot. We watch a lot of American TV. I don't watch as much TV anymore, but you know I've had yeah. to stop watching it. And you know, yes. there's a, I, I'm not sure what we can do from Canada, but we're certainly hoping and praying that you know it's it's difficult to watch. It's 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 unbelievable. Yes. You're quite right about that. I hear Americans say I don't watch the news anymore. That does not make me feel happy. No, but it just simply says to me. I'm insulating my head. I don't yeah. want to know. Because, see, if I do know, I know mm. that I must say something. Mm. That's what I don't want to yeah. do. This is a call to uncommon courage. I think differently about that. Mm. It's about knowledge and voice. Mm. It's about defeating the silence. And I think you're doing a great job in uh, in, oh. help, in helping people do that. I mean, you're definitely passionate and fierce and, about this and, and and asking the right questions or yeah. saying you know the I feel differently yeah. about that that one sentence alone sister Joan uh, will change a lot of conversations I have I think that's right I think that single sentence is a hinge sentence it opens us to different ideas and that's why I want people to go into those discussions armed with information knowing and you know you don't have to know everything that's the that's the other mistake people say well you know what do i know i'm a nurse fine then pick your issue this book is not about issues this book is about heart and mind and insertion and awareness and warning Mm -hmm. and it's about the model of those before us who have done it and are waiting for us to do it again this whole notion of information is an important one. And so when you speak, choose what you know. Choose what you're interested in. They're all going to come out at the same place. All this destruction of life, animal, vegetable, and mineral, it's all coming out of the same center. And that center is sinful. It means that we will destroy anybody for the sake of the money that we'll get from it. People are making money they can't spend. How many houses can you live in at one time? How many boats can you drive? How many planes can you own and fly them all at the same time? Live in an excessive society. Oh, my God. If if you saw this in fiction, you would call it a fantasy. Yes, exactly. But it's here. It's right in front of our faces. Mm. You know, our, 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 little, our little towns, they have no tax base. They can't do anything. Mm-hmm. And the federal government is not helping that. Right. I we mean, ex- we're experiencing the federal government is sitting there. Yeah. Well, they're, they're watching whole areas mm. be wiped out and say, say to Puerto Rico, they don't deserve. I couldn't believe it. Right. I mean, it, there, there are things going on that. That, as far as I'm concerned, are mental. We're mad. We're mm. mad. Right. So back to what you said about the nurse, and I, and I really, I love this. It's that finding, you know, whoever you are, wherever you are, finding that information. And as humans, sometimes we think we need to know everything before we say something. And yes, there, so there's that. I'm sure of that. 
And good people are quiet because it's overwhelming. The amount of information yes. is overwhelming. Well, with the if internet, we have everything, and, right? There's so much information. Sure, Where do you right. stop? Yeah, it, so so that that is almost a problem at, at some level. But if if I'm a nurse and I and I live in Erie, Pennsylvania, right now, where the local Coke plant has ignored something like <clears throat> 10 um, resolutions for change. They are billowing into one of the most beautiful spots. You know, you we're right on your lake, too. Yes, yes. We, we share, share the lake. this lake. <laughs> yeah. And that area, we know that geography. This plant is on our lake, too, Lakeshore. Mm. And it's been there for, what, 100 years or something like this, blowing this coke dirt into the air over that beautiful lake and into the lives of people for a, 10 square blocks around them. And when they get a recommendation of change mm-hmm. or the monitors come in and say, this has to be fixed, they ignore it. They ignore it. We have a small group in town, six or seven people. They stopped ignoring it. And for the first time, a $118,000 fine has come down on this group to change this pollution. Now, if you're a nurse in Erie and your hospital is sitting 10 blocks away from that coke plant, which it is, mm-hmm. which it is, it would seem to me when you say, I want to be part of this prophetic conversation and I am going to join that group because I know what's happening to the human lung if that gets into it. And I can teach them that. Find your issue. Find your expertise. And move. And I think that, that's a good thing for people is to find your issue. I think it, people are so overwhelmed. It's like, what can I do? And you, you call us out that, in, in confidence. Yeah. You say, don't use perfectionism. Don't use the sense of worthlessness or that you're sensitive that's to criticism. Right. Is to, you know, because I love the statement. You said, people pleasing goes away when the worthiness argument disappears. So when you realize that you're worthy, pick a something that you are passionate about. And I think I heard you on Oprah the very first time. You said, this sounds, you know, like the simplest thing, but do something. Do something. Hmm. People will say to me, what, what What? can I do? I said, something. Yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Anything. Something to move the to move I'll just say out. one more thing. I'm yeah. going to go back to this, uh, an earlier conversation. At the time of the last election, I heard women say, well, I won't vote for a woman just because uh, she's a woman. Shame. And I said, that's funny. You voted for a man for 200 years Mm -hmm. just because it's a man. In fact, for 2,000 years, women have been, if they have a vote at all, been supporting men just because they're men. I won't vote for a woman just because it's a woman. Really? I said, I will. What is that about, do you think? I have heard that time and time again. Do you have any insight on that? This is an an, an age question. This is an easy one. Okay. At the time of the race riots in the United States, the African Americans in this country, when they rose up finally and said, enough is enough in the 60s, they did not burn down Rodeo Drive. They burned down Watts. Watts was the black community. They went and burned out their own habitat. And people said, what is going on here? The psychologist came in and began to 
to test, to try to find out what in God's name would inspire people in revolt to burn themselves out and not burn out what they see as the oppressor. And this is what we found, that oppressed people internalize the message of the oppressor. And it's blacks who were saying to their kids, look, you got a job. Don't say anything. I don't want you out there where this is going on. We just have to do this because this is all we have. And, and this is what we can get. And I don't want you in that trouble. Our black communities aren't saying that anymore. Mm. They have found themselves. They have found a sense of self-esteem. They have found black lives matter. They are worth it. We have, as a result of this 50 years of struggle, and now the death on our streets of black kids by white cops, they are inflamed. Mm -hmm. And they have discovered themselves. Oppressed people internalize the message of the oppressor. And that's when they begin to pass. That's when black people begin to use cream to lighten their blackness so that they or or to straighten their hair so that they can pass from one side of this oppression to the other or at least share in some of that. It's it's heartbreaking, mm. but it is real. So now apply it to women. Exactly. Oppressed wow. people internalize the oppressor, the, the messages of the oppressor. Women are too emotional to lead. Women aren't smart enough to do science. Women can't write a book. Men write books because books are what tell people what life is about. Women don't know that. And if they think they do, it shouldn't be allowed. Mm. We tell them what to do. These are important things you're talking about. The oppressed people internalize the message of the oppressor, and so they turn against themselves. Don't you leave the plantation. Many, many blacks taught their grandchildren at the time of emancipation. We got us a good massa. You just stay where you are. And some of them did, and some of them wouldn't. And over those years, they have begun to claim more and more exactly what they should claim. Their creativity, their intelligence, their contribution. What these people know about suffering and can teach us about what's happening to those kids in those cages mm -hmm. in El Paso. Sweetheart, you and I don't even begin to know. Mm -hmm. We need their expertise. Right. We need their consultation on how to deal with these people who are running from death and running straight into it at our hands. Mm. Well, that is a that's uh, great insight. I mean, I have never even looked at it like no, that before. I have that is I mean, I'm I'm just so full right now, Sister mm. Joe. My my chest is like my heart is just full because you have explained something that I have not understood and couldn't figure out. Why? Well, I just want you to know that it is easily certified. You you look into the Adorno uh, material. You you'll find it. It's we will everywhere. Find it. We'll share it with our listeners. Mm -hmm. We'll put a link yeah. on our Facebook Good. page. And we Good. want to respect your time. We know we're at our time here. You've been a you. complete joy. Wow. And you have a ton of nuggets. I'm sure we're going to listen back to this, and our listeners will be very appreciative of the insight you've brought today. 
Well, I'm appreciative, obviously, of women like you. Don't ask who the prophets are. Be one. Thank you. Oh, and, yeah. and, there you go. Right. There's we, the message we, we right have, there. And we have lived in an era of great, great, great souls. The Berrigans and Martin Luther King and the suffragettes and Dorothy Day. My God. What, they have been marching in front of us and in front of our faces for so long. And what they're saying to us is, rise up. Rise up. Stand up. Mm. Say, I, I myself, I want you to know, I think differently about mm. that. They're not asking for revolution. They're asking for evolution of, of human dignity. And we owe it. It's our responsibility. It's nobody else's responsibility. And I think as a result of this conversation, I'm hoping that people will think differently uh, at at the end of this. Mm. Well, I want them to call five people together and study something. Well, there's the call Call five people together and teach them something. Find an issue and respond to it. Warn them, uh, the God of creation says to the prophets, I send you as a watchman on the tower. Warn them that trouble is coming. Mm-hmm. Thank you both. You're right. I'm off to another meeting right now, but I can't tell you I leave you with great gratitude and uh, with great respect. God bless you both. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Sister Joan. Thank you so much. Bye bye. Yeah. Bye. I'm Dana Lloyd. And I'm Elaine Shannon. You've been listening to Soul Sister Conversations, the podcast. You can connect with Dana at DanaLloydLeadership.com and you can connect with Elaine at ElaineShannon.com. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and join us for more Soul Sister Conversations. Thanks for listening.